Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Alison Rudd, a planned substitute for Gab Marcotti, who is currently mastering his nose grabs and falling leaves on his snowboard. Today we'll be talking about what happened when Spurs went to Anfield, when Leicester went to Wales, and we will debate the enigma that is Arsene Wenger. I'm joined in the studio by, as luck would have it, a former Leicester striker in the form of James Scowcroft, and by, as luck would have it, a compatriot of Wenger in Julian Laurent. And down the line, we are simply lucky to have the super clever Bill Edgar. I say super clever, Bill, because I mean, just just a tiny example of how clever you are. There's this beautiful statistic in the paper today. Sunderland are the first team for nearly 60 years, 60 years to win away by at least four goals in the top flight and then lose at home by at least four in the next game. I'm sure somebody somewhere thought that's a bit weird how Sunderland can be great one minute and then terrible the next. But you put you put figures on it. I love yes, it. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, well, I, I'm, I'm sort of constantly looking for little oddities like that, and I just wonder how has that happened before? How long could it have happened? A long time before? Is it worth researching it? You know, that's, yeah, that's my that's been my life doing, unfortunately, sadly. <laughs> well, it's a bumper episode, and we start with Liverpool's two nil victory over Tottenham. It was the Marne show at Anfield. Um, with lots of subtext, one of the most obvious being that Pochettino, he wanted to sign Mane, and Daniel Levy's chairman said, oh, no, 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 his wages are far too big. And when, um, after the game, Pochettino said he's working with different tools than the rest of the top four, I wondered if he probably had that in mind. Is he slightly hamstrung by uh, uh, being at a club where they do look at the purse strings? James, do you... Do you think that's what he was getting at? Certainly was, wasn't it? You just have to read between the lines, and you you look at it. It's always been Tottenham's problem, isn't it? Their, their strength in depth that they haven't got, and other teams have got really. And especially when you get to this this end of the season, it's the business end of the season that that starts as well. And they've got cup games, um, they've got the Europa League coming up as well. And he must be looking at it, thinking, "I need more players here." And they've just been beaten by a player who scored two goals that he probably wanted in the summer. The frustration and everything has come out. So always going to be Tottenham's problem, really. That they can they compete? Can they pay the big wages and the big transfer fees? And you know, Daniel Levy's a very very good negotiator, but sometimes you have to uh, pay over the odds to get the players you want. Yes, indeed, Bill. I mean, also after the game, Wijnaldum said he sort of said, "Well, don't don't go on and on about Marnie. He did play very well, but you know, he's he's not. It's, it is a team game. I mean, how impressed were you by?" And are you by Marne, Bill? But do you think it might be counterproductive, as Ronaldo seemed to be intimating, for it to be tagged as the Marne show? Yeah, he's a great player. He was pretty much from day one at Southampton. His his talent was was there for all to see. Um, perhaps a bit less consistent than 
than he is now, but certainly brings that extra dimension to Liverpool. I think he fits their play perfectly because uh, Liverpool's the great attraction is their irresistible attacking football at high speed. And when it comes off, it's it's the best in the country. Nobody can stop it. And um, he has that acceleration that no the other players don't quite have. But he has amazing acceleration. He was the the big difference um, certainly on Saturday. Do you have any Mane stats you can wow us with? Uh, not to I was getting very excited when it looked like he was going to get a, another very quick hat-trick to match his hat-trick against Aston Villa for Southampton uh, uh, a couple of years ago. And they both came at almost exactly the same point of the game, around the, the 16th minute. So uh, so I, I, it was close, but it didn't quite happen. So it's too easy to just call it the Mane show, but Julian, it was also from Spurs' point of view, it was that, oh, Ben Davis can't cope was the narrative which and and it seems to me that even if Danny Rose had been there we don't know but it, it seemed to me I, I'm a quite a big fan of Ben Davis I think it, it's a bit unfair to lump it all on him yeah I, I agree with you I think a lot of left backs have struggled against Sergio Mane this season and even at Southampton like, like Bill was saying I think Rose would have had more pace and we saw on the first goal that poor Ben Davis it looked like he was you know trailing a, a caravan behind him or something because he <laughs> you know he started I still think that he could have maybe you know tried to play him offside and then he wanted to go with him and he was maybe two yards ahead and then he ended up being five behind which I do think that Rose's pace would have helped a lot I think that they should have played with three at the back or five at the back Spurs I, I don't really understand why Wimmer was on the bench and, and Davis could have played probably better I think as a as a left wing back than he did at that left back position because you knew from the start it was going to be him against Manny and you from the start, looking at the the lineup, you thought, "Oh, I don't fancy Ben Davis against against Manny," and I, and I think he shows. James, I mean, what does Pochettino do now? I mean, I like the way he manages and the way he conducts himself and the way his, his tactics. I like his whole approach to the game. My one criticism of him has been that he doesn't seem capable of juggling competitions. It now seems he's incapable of juggling injuries within a single competition, the Premier League. Does he even start thinking, well, if I really am writing off the Premier League, I should try and win the Europa League? Or does he rest everybody for the Europa League? What should his approach be now? Otherwise, he's in danger of the season petering out. And all it being about is that, oh, look, Spurs managed to grab a top four place. Well, I think if they got a top four place, it's they've had a good season. I think especially if you see the competition this year that, you know, two big, big sides, two big managers are going to miss out on Champions League football. I think that has to be his number one goal. I don't think they're going to win the title. I think that's, you know, it's Chelsea's really, isn't it? Only Chelsea can throw that away, really. For me, they're at a bit of a crossroads. I think he's done a fantastic job, Pochettino. And I think now, if, if Daniel Levy wants to, to keep him, and they were going to go into the new stadium, they need to reinvent themselves a little bit now. So, i.e., they need quality. They need more players. So you can... You know, a little bit like Manchester United, the the, the depth they have in uh, in the squad. You know, if it's Rashford one week, it might be then Martial the following week. And I think sometimes they rely far too much on Harry Kane, far too much on Ericsson, far too much on the fullbacks, the goalkeeper. And I think 
these players as well need help. He has to focus on the league. He has to, to, to focus on... Uh, I know you can win this Europa League and we can get in the back door there, but I think Tottenham are equipped to finish fourth, really, so I think that should be his priority. And if you actually look at their remaining away games, because they've really struggled away from home against the good sides, they've only got West Ham, really, which is in the, in the top. So it's Palace, Burnley, Swansea, Leicester, West Ham, Hull are the away fixtures. So they're all winnable. I would say if I was him and I was that team, I would solely focus on the league, everything else second. Moving on to Liverpool, Bill. Do you, I mean, Klopp's been grinning about this a lot, but can they win every single game left and put real pressure on Chelsea? Is there a twist in the tale to come, do you think? Um, I, I doubt it very much. I mean, they are that even if they were to win the remaining 13 games, I mean, they still probably wouldn't win the title. Chelsea would still get it. I mean, when they're on form, their attacking football is irresistible, like no other team in the country. But they're not quite consistent enough, and they don't—they can't really control matches. Not in the way that Chelsea or even Manchester United can. They can't just shut down games, um, and I think that's going to be a problem for them. That's that's why I feel they were never really realistic title contenders. Um, but um, next season, maybe another season, you know, Klopp's feet under the table, then maybe next season. I was really, really angry last week on the podcast after the whole game as a Liverpool fan. But I'm, I'm all beaming smiles now, Julian. Am I, should, I mean, am I being stupid? No, you're not. You know, I think you knew they, you knew they, would, they would be back to their best. And also you knew that Spurs would, would play into their hands because there's one thing, you can't go to Anfield and, and think that you can play them off the park and that you can play a highland at the back and you can try to play on the ball and, and not win second balls and third balls and, and then you get thrashed. And I think Spurs were even lucky. I don't hope that for Liverpool fans and for you, Alison, but surely every single team that's going to go to Liverpool next will know that the only way if you want to get something there, and there's a way, is to just be solid and just hit them on the counter because once uh, you try to play too much, they put so much pressure in midfield and up front and they've got those great runners and the movement on the ball and off the ball offensively is so good that there's no chance. The only chance is to exploit the fragility they've got at the back and for that the counter attacking style for me is the best one and Spurs just missed it completely. Tactically, I thought they were so poor, Pochettino was so poor and, and I thought that was perfect for club who... I think knew that that's the way Spurs would play and that he knew exactly how to beat them and they did the, their game plan worked so well. Do they have a plan B, Liverpool? No, they don't. <laughs> exactly. So if you look at their fixture list, sorry, last point, if you look at their fixture list, their running isn't too bad. They've got Arsenal at home, Man City away, they're probably the two hardest. The Merseyside derby, Liverpool at home, but you'd fancy them. But they're playing a lot of teams that have got a lot to play for, especially down at the bottom. If teams come to Anfield and they park the bus and say, go on and we're going to defend so deep, so you can't get in behind us, you can't counter-attack on us, we're going to five at the back, four in midfield, what do Liverpool do then? Right, let's go to the Liberty Stadium where Swansea defeated Leicester City, two goals to nil. The obvious uh, juicy debating points are the form of Leicester. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's just make sure we do not ignore Swansea because this was your classic six-pointer. I tweeted early on because what really struck me was how calm Swansea were. This 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 was a relegation crucial fight and they I mean I know Swans tend to look elegant on top of the water and they're paddling away underneath and maybe that was what was really going on, but they looked very calm as if They've been really well prepared by their manager. 
it was as if you'd said to them, look, you are the better team. You're the informed team. Remember how you played against Liverpool. Forget that they won the title. And that's how it panned out. I suspect nobody on the podcast today is going to say that they think Swansea is still in trouble. I do not think that they are. Bill, do you think they're still in trouble? No, they they certainly seem to have hit form at uh, a good time. Although they've never, I must say, they've never looked really bad this season in, in the worst moments. They've always looked as though they've had something about them and they've got the experience of um, being in the Premier League for quite some time now. So they they're, they are really at heart a mid-table club. And, and with Gilfie Sigurdsson as the, the kind of the pivot in the, the number 10 role, sometimes out to the left, I mean, he's a real class act. And when when he's playing to his normal ability, then they've always got a a good chance. And also, Leroy Fur is uh, another impressive player in uh, central midfield. Good, strong character, and and he was really good yesterday. And and of course, um, the back four. They've uh, that's where their problems have been earlier this season. Paul Clement has settled upon this new back four: Norton, Fernandez, Mawson. And Olsen, you know, when Olsen came from the championship from Norwich, it, it looked like a bit of a gamble. He thought, well, maybe Olsen's had his day, but he's come in and played really well. Um, so I, I guess the, the Paul Clem's biggest achievement is really creating a, a real good structure about Swansea's defence. And, and they look very solid and, and it's looking good for them now. Here, here. Anyone want to disagree before we move on to the problems? I don't, I don't think they're out of trouble. Would you say they're out of trouble, Swansea? No, there's still some tough games coming up. There's one against Hull, for example. You know, in in I think in two games time, they still have to play United and and Arsenal away, I think, or something like that. So they, they but but they look so well organized. They look better now, and and well, and they're playing Chelsea away. How do you well, see that Chelsea, one? Going? Yeah, Chelsea yeah, away is exactly. the next game. So yeah, so it's. No, they, they they have tough games, and you lose one, and someone behind you. They've got to go teams. to Hull. They've got Middlesbrough yeah. at home. There's tough they've, games still coming up. They're only four points clear of the bottom three. It's not that huge. So. I just think from my experiences, the problems that have haunted you all season are only just around the corner. If you take your, your sort of your eye off the ball, really, you know they've obviously had problems. They've had you know a lot of disruption this season. They've they've not been the Swansea of old. They've looked disorganised. Blah blah blah. Those problems aren't too far away. So I think it's very very silly of any team that goes on a little bit of a run all of a sudden gets a little bit of daylight to think oh we're, we're home and dry now because those problems can soon come back which and, I, I, uh, catch I don't you think up. they will from what I've, I was told they work Paul Clement is working them really 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 hard and Claude McAuley is helping a lot I had to give a bit of love to Claude so. <laughs> and they're also very lucky Swansea in that Gilfie Sigurdsson never <sighs> gets injured never to that, add to the long list of things he does that are marvellous <laughs> The pass on the Olsen goal is just... I mean, the whole movement, that one-touch double triangle, but the pass from Sigurdsson is special. OK, all that's very beautiful. And now on to something that's really quite ugly. How can the champions of England not score a goal in 2017? How can they look so disorganised? You know, Claudio Ranieri eventually says maybe he's been too loyal to the team that won the title. Um, with hindsight, seems to me what Ranieri should have done was ship out a lot of the players that did win the title. It's what Shankly used to do and people used to go, oh, but they just won the title. How can you be thinking about reinvigorating the side like that? He has been loyal. At the time, nobody said you shouldn't be. But with hindsight, it's, it does seem that he's finally admitted he's been sticking with the same patterns and the patterns need to be different this time around. Um, James, you know Leicester very well. You played with them and you've got a bit of inside knowledge too. What is really going on? 
I think there's many, many factors that's going on, Alison. I think it's hard to, to point to one and say that that's a problem. I think their mentality this season has been wrong. You know what they achieved last season was was a fairy tale. Where are they now? Um, but can I do? I, that's really interesting. Can I stop you there? So who that that, that was predictable? That who are we now? Syndrome. Mm. That has to be Ranieri's fault for not acknowledging that would happen and thinking of a clever way given that he didn't shove out the people who are going to be more tired and this season, he's kept with them. If you're going to keep with the same team, you have to acknowledge that's a problem and find a clever way to solve it. And it, it looks from the outside like he didn't What you need to do, it. what you need to do, you need to keep with the same team. You, you can't get rid of players that have just won you the league. And well, you can, that, you can. Oh. Well, if you did that and they're in the position you are now, I think people will be saying you're absolutely... Well, he wouldn't be in the job now. But then, yeah. Exactly. What I think you need to do is... Go and get a real backup for Jamie Vardy and say, hey, here's your new contract, you deserve it. But if you're not doing it, I've got someone who's a replacement here that's going to be straight in the team. So you need real competition for places which they haven't got. They're relying on the same formations, really, the same people that, that A, got them out of trouble 18 months ago, won them the league. You can't keep relying on the same players. You know, they, these players look absolutely shot to me. So... With the Champions League, with everything else that's going around, with the sort of the circus that that surrounded them still with this this tale, and and all of a sudden Jamie Carragher hit the nail on the head two weeks ago. I think this is only half the story now. If they get relegated, the Leicester sort of two three year story is going to be champions, but also relegated. And I think the mentality's been poor. They've approached the season in the wrong wrong way. They should have said right. This is where we are. Can we get to 40 points? Get to 40 points, get to 60 points. Going back to, to what's got them where they are. Lack of very, very good recruitment. Everyone says that when you're in a position of strength, you have to strengthen again, which I don't think they've done. Some of them could have gone to clubs last year. Jamie Vardy was on the verge of going to Arsenal, but didn't quite happen. He's probably thinking, well, you know, if I was at Arsenal now, this, that and the other. But so, Arsenal are thinking, thank goodness we didn't sign Jamie Vardy, though. Well, maybe, maybe not, really. I, I just think the whole mindset of the club is, is wrong, and they need to change it now. And if I was even coming out last week and, and saying, we back Claudio, why on earth do you do that? It just brings more attention on yourself. Every single manager in the Premier League is under pressure. So why come out and back your manager? There's no need to. It's a results business. It's not getting results. A few Leicester fans I follow on social media. A lot of them want Claudio Ranieri out. You know, and these these are true fans that go to every game home and away. That they're not the the pundits that just see a little snapshot of what is going on at the football club here. I really do fear for them. I really, really do. And I think they've got a little bit of big-time mentality about them, and they're in big, big trouble. Julian, do you th- would it would it work to get rid of Claudio now? I think he would, yeah. I would, I would get rid of him. I would have got rid of I him think before that's the, the only answer to get rid of him. And you need a new manager to come in and say, right, this, we start again. Here. I agree. I agree. I would have got rid of him even before the FA Cup uh, replay game against Derby. And and I'm I'm surprised he's still there. I think, I think there's something broken between him and the dressing room. There's no doubt about that at all. And and I think. You might not believe everything you read in the papers, and, and but there's so many stories that we've all heard here from different sources everywhere. Every, whatever newspaper you work for, even like me, a French one, players are starting to talk a lot off the record, and, and all those stories can only be true. And I really think there's an issue between him and most of the dressing room, if, you know, maybe not the whole dressing room, but most of it. And I still don't understand why he's, what he does. I mean, yesterday, taking... 
Simpson off and put Amati on for the last 20 minutes. What's, what's the point? There's, I just, I, I think he's lost it. I, I, I mean, I know yes, last season was incredible, but this year I think he's been dreadful as a manager. Bill, do you, I mean, do you think it's a case of Leicester won the title without Ranieri needing to be too clever or too tinkering and now he needs to be clever? The players and him, as, as Julian says, there's, there's a gulf there. There is no connection. Well, I certainly think there's no reason not to sack him just because he won the title last year. I mean, you're simply thinking about how well is he going to do in the last 13 games. What happened last year has no bearing on that. You, you don't make your decision based on what's fair or what seems nice just because he did so well last season. Um, I, I happen to think that if they were to go down or even just survive this season, it actually improves the story, the overall story, because it just goes to show how unlikely it was last season. Instead of, say, finished fourth this in them for the next few years been fourth or fifth and you could have said well they were just really a good team anyway and it was just they just made a sudden jump to get there but but now to drop dramatically back to where they were initially and this is this is where you we expected them to be last year. they're 17th now we expected them to be about 17th last season but to drop so dramatically just shows shows how unlikely it was and how it was just a team of pretty average players who somehow got 81 points in one season to me that's just great that it's just a bit like um on a smaller scale a bit like manchester united when ferguson left it only the fact that they suddenly fell away, having either won the title or been within a couple of kicks of the title for seven years in a row. Next three years, they were nowhere near. That just added to his legend. So uh, in one way, I kind of, I'm quietly uh, enjoying this, not least, of course, from a stats point of view. I mean, it, it's such a, <laughs> such a brilliant fall. And it's been mentioned that there's been one other team that's dropped from um, winning the title to going down the next season, the Manchester City in 1937-38. Um, but in, in one way, Leicester's fall is much more dramatic because then the, the, the gap between the top and uh, bottom was very little. It, effectively, it was only 21 points from top to bottom in that, in that Manchester City season if you adjust to three points for a win in the 38-game season. So, um, so it wasn't so, so dramatic. So this is, uh, stats-wise, it's is, uh, much better in that sense. But, um, but it's, it's strange to, to think how... Um, how they've gone from last season to this season. What What is the difference in play? And you just think that everything was done at such high speed last season. They had the confidence to play right on the edge. Um, and they just had that tiny doubt in their minds this time. They, they dwell for a split second before passing the ball on first time. I'm sure N'Golo Conte's departure has been a factor. Not only is he a great player, obviously, but he just sets the tempo. He was darting around, closing down the opposition. But also with counter-attacks, he'd always first-time pass. If, if ever he had the chance, first-time pass straight away. So that just set the tempo for Leicester. It's a big loss, but of course it doesn't really explain such a big big fall. Of course. No. But anyway. James, as a, as a striker, Jamie Vardy's not had a shot on target since mid December, is that because he just isn't focusing correctly or is it just that if you're a striker and your team aren't functioning properly you don't stand a chance of getting a shot on target? I think it's many different factors. It's a mindset, it's a confidence thing, it's service from your teammates. Um, To go from where he was last season and I saw a lot of him last season, I was there the day that he he broke the, uh, the Premier League record 
11, scoring 11 goals in 11 games, I think it was. And he, he was just a player that was so on top of his game. You can see it, and he's just a pale shadow. And it does happen. It happens to, to a lot of players. And I just think his lack of experience of being at a top club, playing for your country, this, that and the other, is it, sort of almost costing him, really. And all of a sudden now he's got himself in a horrible position where I don't think he scores. it one goal in 24 games or something? Mm. It, it, the stat is incredible. And like you say, he hasn't had a shot on target since December. Well, wow, you know, you, you think your next game, you just have a shot and, and just hit the target. <laughs> I think, well, I've got that monkey off my back. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of these players, I think, He's even he's even done it and hasn't worked this season. A little spell on the bench, you think. Come here, get out the firing line. Let somebody else do it. But they haven't got the backup, Leicester. They haven't got that. Um, you know, someone in the wings really. They've got this Damari Gray that's come on. And all of a sudden now he's, you know, picking up a little bit, and he seems to be their one bright spark. They need more players like that. So people like Vardy, right? You're not playing until you show a little bit of what you showed last season. Maybe it's just an average striker. And I, I know. I remember last season when we did at the end of last season we did the, um, the our team of the season with Gab. I'm sure you were here, no? Probably. And we did the team of the season. And we got to striker, and basically it was either Harry Kane or Jamie Vardy. And I said, right, are we talking about a proper striker, a proper footballer? There's no debate. I said there was no debate for me between Kane and Vardy. I got so much abuse from Leicester fans, and you know I didn't want to upset anyone, but Jamie Vardy has one thing in his game, right? You can't even compare him with Harry Kane. And you said it happens to strikers. It doesn't happen to great strikers. Great strikers don't go from one amazing season to one good in 24 games. No no, no, no great strikers do that. No, but yeah, Harry Kane... Average not, strikers ha, do that. Ha, yeah, Average but Harry Kane isn't, isn't at a Leicester City. Ibrahimovic isn't at a Leicester no, City. true. What Vardy did last year with Leicester City was great, fantastic. Yeah, and he should have got in the team of the year last year because he, he for me, he was the, the player of the season last year. I saw him, I saw him for a spell either side of Christmas, and he was unplayable. But that was not he, his he level. Play. His level. And is I also saw him at the end of the season where he was going through a bit of a drought. I saw him at Crystal Palace, and his work rate. They won one nil. Mare scored, and it was probably the first sort of thing you think these are actually going to win the title here his work rate was phenomenal yeah and maybe there's absolutely phenomenal and he's just lost it all you know not only him I think it's it's unfair to single him out but I think a few of them you know that the the defence is you know where the real problem is at the moment you know they're conceding goals they look awful at the back they're in a massive rut and I'm not sure I think the only way they can get out of it and I feel sorry for Ranieri because I don't think he deserves to lose his job but sometimes that can have that little impetus just to think right we've got to drag you lot over line because if they get relegated you know I, th- I think the mental Stars. sort of scar that that will cause could uh, could hit the club for a few when, years when Chelsea won the title and then they limped over the line and they started really badly and Mourinho lost his job we said at the time Chelsea have limped over the line and you could sense that it wasn't going to start as great are we just being wise after the event could we tell could we tell it towards the end of last season that maybe Leicester needed they, well they did um, yes they had a series of 1-0 wins and it was a bit bit scratchy uh, so I guess in retrospect you, you could look at that but um, I mean the, the story was just so amazing that you wouldn't you, you, nobody's going to pick holes in them at that point um, but, but maybe, yeah, maybe think, if you're a winner maybe if you're a winner you do pick holes if you're do you see what I mean it's, yeah if you, if you concentrate too much on oh what a fairy tale isn't it inevitable that you're not going to be built 
correctly for the next Probably, challenge. Probably, yeah. But you, you were saying he should have sold a few players, but I mean, how how can you possibly, you know, get rid of Wes Morgan or Danny Drinkwater? Just, you know, I mean, I'm not getting enough money to, to bring in players who are much better. So I think he had to stick with this team. I mean, it's only around now when you think, OK, probably it is time to, to change a few players. I mean, you, you've got to give them as much time as possible. And I think it's fair enough to stick with pretty much the same 11. Shouldn't he? But should he, should he perhaps have, against Swansea, played exactly the team that had beaten Derby? No, but that, that wasn't well, a great well, game, was it? The, 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 it was. They, they stumbled they across look, Derby reserves stage, in extra stage, time. At this stage, when you're worrying about relegation, you don't have to win in style. You I have think to win. from the outset, they needed a plan B. I think Ranieri should have said, right, we'll go with what we did last season, but if teams work us out here, which, you know, I, I, there's only so many times that Mars is going to get the ball out, out wide, cut in on his left foot and whip it, you know, t- t- eventually they were going to get worked out. They needed a plan B, and I don't think they came up with a plan B, and I think now it's almost too late. Over to our debate. Is Arsene Wenger a little tired? Very tired. Or hungry for more? Um, I'm going to be terribly naughty and quote myself here. Shall I do that? Yeah. Okay. I wrote in the game, the Times on Monday, in the game, I wrote just to be provocative. There was a time when the Queen was unpopular... And the public felt, by and large, that Prince Charles should be given a chance. But by staying put, Her Majesty has won more and more fans. And her longevity has become a thing of wonder. Wenger is not quite there yet. But if he is still at the helm in 2025, no one will ever want him gone. Julian, you're French. Go on, discuss. Mm. I mean, the Queen never had to win the league, though. That's the thing. (laughs) She might have struggled to win the league by herself as well. But I I can see why some fans are frustrated and angry and want him to go and why I tell them all always the same including my friends and it depends who can come next that's the whole thing what's the alternative uh, you know I okay if if I, so the one thing first Arsene still feel that he can do a great job there you know there's no there's no he's tired there's no he doesn't think he's tired he doesn't think that he's not doing a good job he doesn't think that He's not capable of doing even better and winning the league with this squad and everything. So if if you're wondering, is he tired? No, he's not. Does he think he's underachieving? No, he's not. Does he think he can still win the league? Yes, he does. The whole thing for me is the alternative. And Bill mentioned a bit the post-Ferguson era United. It's the same. I'm sure there's no Arsenal fans today who would want three, four, five years now of troubles and difficulties and having three different managers and not qualifying for the Champions League and not doing well and, and you know having long spells with no wins having poor football on the pitch they wouldn't want that surely they would rather have Wenger a bit more even if that means only a top four finish than having issues like United faced for example and I know it's too different and I know James is probably going to pick on this later but I say if, 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 okay, if there's someone like Carlo Ancelotti available and then you think, OK, would Carlo Ancelotti do a better job than Arsene Wenger? Potentially, maybe, yes. Then in fairness, if he's to guess someone like David Moyes was at United, I don't think any Arsenal fans would want that. But don't the Arsenal fans think it's too cosy between the board and the manager? What they want is a manager of great repute who comes in and demands more money and shakes things up and makes sure that Arsenal spend maybe one year more than anybody else and get in three top strikers. That's never going to happen under Arsene Wenger. Maybe maybe it's not an anti-Wenger thing, it's just a, we want somebody who's more abrasive and cocky in there. If, if, if Arsene Wenger feels that Kylian Mbappe is worth £80 million 
and he has the money available. Trust me, he would bid eighty million pounds for Kylian Mbappe. It's it's just that his 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 value of players sometimes don't match the the price that other clubs want for them. And in that case, he said, "I've got other options. Even in my own squad, I would do something else." But, that's, but he but would in a way, spend the money. You, you're you're backing up my point. He, he instead of thinking he's there relatively short term to bring the title to Arsenal, Wenger is is being too good at the housekeeping he's thinking maybe, oh I'm maybe. looking for value for money didn't. in his last year he thought right I'm going to win the title who am I going to get Robin Van Persie right 24 million it, it was, there was no you only had one season Robin at Manchester United where he, and even that season he, he sort of hit a brick wall after March but it was almost a selfish kind of 24 million I want to buy myself the, the title here an Arsenal fan that I know goes home and away hit the nail on the head last week he said our biggest problem is we cannot go to the big teams away from home and get results and he said that has been our problem for 10 years and until we solve that problem until we can get a manager that can tactically like Mourinho's done in the past where he's gone to a Manchester City or he's gone to a Liverpool and thought I'm going to park the bar so I'm going to do this or I'm going to have my antics on the sideline Guardiola can do it Mourinho can do it Klopp can do it. Arsene Wenger can't do it. Well, that's and really I, interesting because Wenger did start to do that. I'll play ugly, and clearly he didn't yeah. feel comfortable, and he stopped. Every time Chelsea, a couple of weeks ago, they just they just get rolled over away from home at the big clubs, and until they can sort that problem out, they will not win the league. All right. They? So, you're, are you saying that Wenger should go? Well, he's, he's going to go, isn't he? It's not. It's not. Is he going to go? He's going to go. So, when does he go? I think Martin Keown made a good point on Match of Day last night. He's going to go, so Arsenal as a football club need to find a replacement. Even if it's going to take them two or three years, they need to find a replacement, which is very, very important that you get the right person in. So the football club needs to start it. You know, Arsenal, it's a very, very good football club, Arsenal, and I think this kind of, they're in no man's land. I think they've got a chance they could miss out on the top four this year, and I think that could... So do you think, do you think Arsenal should, as a club, announce... They've just sat down, discussed things with Wenger, and he has one more season left. No, I think if you do that, the players get in a mindset of, is he our manager, is he not our manager? I just think that they probably... They so might they have... keep it secret, but yes, they agree yes. he's going to go when? This summer or next summer? I think the biggest thing is they need to get somebody in place, a bit like Man City had Guardiola in place, I don't know. That's a, a bit to... insult, that's a bit insulting to Wenger, isn't it? To say, well, we'll keep no, no, no. you on until we find the right person. It might be this year, might be next year, might be five years' time. Well, what's more that's important, Arsenal happen, Wenger or Arsenal, uh, or Arsenal Football Club? What, what's? I think they've got to sit down. I'm sure they do. And, and I think United did it with Ferguson. They got it wrong with Moyes. Man City have done it. I think they've got it right with, with Pep. I think Arsenal need to see that they need to make a, a search now for a replacement for, for Arsenal Wenger. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you can't compare City and Pellegrini with 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 Arsenal and and, and Wenger. I th- I think they, they you know, the, the, I don't know. As from what I see or from what I hear, even talking to people, they seem to think that the Arsenal board are stupid people. They're not stupid people. It's just that you you have to treat Wenger with a lot of respect for everything he's done for the club. Whether you think that for the last ten years it was not good enough, they get that. They do sit with him, and they will probably offer him a new deal. And you know, it would be down to him. To sign it or not, but it will always. It was always going to be down to him to stay or to not stay. It was never going to be the board who said, like, you can't say to Ferguson, mm, "Listen, Alex, I think you have to go now." You don't say to Wenger, "Listen, mate, I think you have to go now." This, this just doesn't work like this. This is not Pellegrini. This is we're talking about Arsene Wenger, twenty years at the club and and did amazing things for the club and for English football in general. You don't tell him to go when he says, "Listen, I don't feel I can take this club forward anymore." I don't think my message is going through, blah, blah, blah. Whatever the reason, he will say, I think it's the right time for me then to go. And then they would already have a list of who they think would be a good replacement, not just football-wise, but also in terms of 
off the field, the relationship with the fans, the relationship with the club. It would be someone who looks a bit like Arsene Wenger. And I think Thomas Tuchel, for example, who emotionally is not as extravagant maybe than other big managers, is very much like Arsene Wenger. And I think maybe he would be the right one to follow him. And whether that's next year, in two years, in three years, in five years, in six years, or, or whatever, but you just don't tell Arsene Wenger it's time for you to go, mate. Bill, well, I mean, how do you view it, Bill? Because it's, I think Julian's probably right that, that the board are not going to tell Arsene Wenger what to do. But no. how long can Wenger keep going if every time there's these dips, there are placards saying, we want you out? Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly looks like he's got the energy for it, at least. Uh, you ask, is he, is he very tired? I mean, 67 and Ferguson went on till 71. It's a sort of analogy with, with Leicester, in a way. You think, if, would Leicester fans take being champions and relegation over the course of two years? And you think, yes, they would definitely take title and relegation because they've enjoyed that great high. And I, and I think that's the frustration for Arsenal fans. They just don't get any great highs. You get, since they last won the title in 2004, they've won the third most points in the Premier League, way ahead of uh, Liverpool in fourth place. So you'd have thought in, in 12 years there'd have been a, a couple of titles in there, or just on the balance of probability. But they're just so consistent. And, and that's the frustrating thing. I think it's almost summed up by Theo Walcott. He, he, he's just, to me, he's just not a title-winning player. And he never has been. Obviously, now and again, he looks incredible. But he's just not a title-winning player. Six or seven years ago, Arsenal could have said, right, cheerio, off you go. But they gave him long contracts and they've just kept him there. And he's, to, he's never going to win them. The t- players of his standard, they're not going to win the title. On the other hand, they're not going to go fall out of the top four either. So it's almost as if Wenger is just happy being third or fourth each year. And you could argue maybe some fans are. I mean, it's, it's, it's like going to the theatre. The Emirates is very comfortable, lovely, comfy seats, amazing arena. You're, you're going to be entertained much more than the average team in the Premier League, without a doubt. They're great to watch, almost always. You know the plot, roughly. They're, you know, they're going to finish third or fourth, and you're going to play lots of high-profile games against Barcelona and Bayern Munich uh, over the years as they get through the group stages. So that's the sort of big debate, probably, between Arsenal fans. Some, you know, some that the, the kind of the, uh, like going to the theatre each week, and some, some are missing the great highs. And now it's going to be 13 years without winning the league. And some people just think, they just have one title, even if we struggle a bit for, for a few years. I get that, but it, there's something, I don't know what it, the right word is, it's slightly weird the way there's a fear, it seems to me, pervading the club of dropping, that you might have to drop out the top four in order to grow, to become the team that's hungry for the title. James, do you see what I mean? I do see what you mean. I can't, where honestly do you think Arsenal are going to drop? Where? 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 So, so Arsenal Wenger goes and, and there's this... You know, I think everyone was worried that what happened to Manchester United when Ferguson left and, and Moyes came in, but I think it was slightly different because Ferguson left an ageing team. He didn't. It was almost selfish what Ferguson did. He didn't look, but he knew he was going. He knew he was going well before he actually did, and I don't think he planned for the future. And I think David Moyes came in. It was a little bit unstuck. There was no transfer targets put in place. There was nothing, and he had to pick up an ageing squad. Of a very, very good manager. And I think everyone at Arsenal is worried. Oh, if Arsenal Wenger goes, we're going to drop like I say. I think. The infrastructure they've got as a football club, I just can't see that happening. I, I can't. I can't. I'm not saying they're, they're challenged for the title straight away, but he's going to go. He's not, he's not going to last forever. Nobody does. So, you know, why do it sooner rather than later? 
Arsene Wenger wins the league next season, does he, is he going to stay? Well, he's not going to stay forever. So surely that would be the biggest drop, winning the league, then replacing him. Are we sympathetic to the idea that no one should expect Wenger to leave unless he leaves on an absolute high? And that he's going to... His main motivation isn't a selfish one, really. It's just that he wants to bring something special to the club and that's when he'll go. Yeah, I think there's a part of there's a part of that. Um, there's a part of that. There was a time, do you remember, when he was not spending much money? It was because in his head he wanted to do it with the academy and players coming through the academy. And he got really stubborn about that. Then that changed when there was the new stadium. There was a bit more money available. He spent a lot on Ozil and, and Sanchez and all of that. And I think the quest was always to get that Premier League trophy back and I think that I could see him if he does win it again one day after that being okay I, I got where I wanted all those people I proved them wrong because they thought I was finished they thought I was too old they thought I was tired they thought I was not good anymore I proved them wrong by winning that Premier League in far more difficult way because it's, it's harder now to win it than 20 years ago and I've done it and I think then maybe he would go but knowing him, I'm not even sure he would go. He said, I can win another one. And then he would step on another <laughs> five years. Is it fair to say, if you look at Arsene Wenger's 20 years at Arsenal, he had great success from about 96 to 2003 when they had the Invincibles. Is a lot of that success, ain't now it's dried up because he knew the French market very, very well. If you look at the players that had all of that, Thierry Henry, Robert Perez, Manuel Petit, Nicolas Anelka... I could, the list could go yeah, yeah. on and on and on and on. That's dried up now because club scouting systems and everything. There's not a you know we talk about a player that we know very well, Kylian Mbappe at yeah. Monaco, is the next big world superstar. Every single club is onto him. Where it just seemed in that nineties, Arsene coming from France knew had the insights where the players were. Always great French players. You know, there's a whole list of them that have come over and done well in the Premier League. As soon as that dried up. That 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 is now finished. You know that that is to to go and invincible, and the team there was fantastic. To then not win a league after that season is incredible. Yeah, no, it is. I think he was ahead of his time in terms of recruitment, especially abroad. In terms of broccoli tactic, uh, yeah, diet, everything. And I think everybody else caught up at some point, which is normal. And when you stay somewhere for so long, that's always the risk. But the thing that hurt me a bit, and you know, he's not—he's not my friend. I know him well, but he's not my friend. But you can't be disrespectful. Whether you think that the last ten years have been—they they haven't been ten years wasted. I'm not sure many people would have done better than he did. But he's a very clever man, and he's a respectful man, and he loves this club, and he loves those players, and he loves the squad. And sometimes he's actually been more loyal. We talk about loyalty before with with Ranieri. Yep. He has been too loyal at times, and. Uh, you know, I remember him saying, uh, you know, if I go and buy him, that would mean those three there that I already have in my squad that I really like are not going to play much. And, and I think maybe that has been an issue, but he's not stupid and he can see everything that's happening in his squad and, and, and run him. And I do think that he, he might get it right while there, but if he doesn't get it right and if he leaves, let's say, in two years' time or three years' time, you know, and not winning it again... It's just kind of tarnished yeah. everything else it is. Football is the most cut-thrust industry you can possibly imagine. If he's going to come out with that attitude and, and or he's already going down that line of, oh, I need to be loyal to him, he's going to be exactly where they're not going to progress as a True. football and club. I think you, he's made... you have got to be. A bit like Pep's now with, with Pep Guardiola at Man City. Aguero has been there probably there since all the money's come into Man City. He's gone, right, I'm giving you a chance. No. He's yeah, out of it. No, and I think he's and made that's mistakes. that's what you have to do and as a manager. Yeah, I think he's made mistakes. I think he was far more ruthless earlier in his career 
than he's than he is now maybe and he's made mistakes but everybody does every manager makes mistakes and i just don't think he should just be judged on you know on things like that i think he's what he's done for this club is, is going far beyond just the last 10 years or just winning two fa cups in 10 years all right okay let's finish this I want your predictions on where Arsenal will finish in the FA Cup, Champions League and the Premier League and whether what you predict will happen is sufficient for him to stay in the job for another season. Julian? They will finish third in the league. They will beat Bayern Munich in the Champions League by losing the quarterfinals to PSG. And... They will you, win the FA Cup. to the draw. And they will and win they the, will FA, win Cup. the I've FA, seen, FA Cup. I've seen all those games wow. before anyway. And it will stay, of course. It will. Bill? Um, I think they'll be fourth uh, in the league. Um, I'll probably get knocked out by um, Bayern Munich and they'll get past Sutton, but they'll get knocked out in the FA Cup semi-finals and, um, uh, and he'll stay, I'll predict. James? I'm going to say they're going to finish fifth in the league. I think Chelsea will beat them at Wembley in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. I think they'll get past Bayern Munich because I think Bayern Munich are in transition at the moment. They're not the side that they were and it'll be the same merry-go-round. <laughs> Alison, what do you well, think? Well, I'm going to predict um, that they fall to Sutton and we have the biggest shock in football for 10 years and he's sacked. Absolutely no <laughs> chance. <laughs> right, now it's time for quick hits. These are for the uninitiated Quick questions with very quick answers. Gab Marcotti uses gadgets to enforce. I don't. I just raise an eyebrow and everybody is very good. Never mind whether Tony Pulis called Ryan Shawcross a loser or not. West Brom are heading for a top eight finish. How has that happened, James? Because he's a very, very good manager. And I think outside the, the top six, six or seven, the rest of them, I think he just knows how to get his side, you know. Over that 30-point barrier comes come March time, then he'll just keep going. I think he he's one manager that gets the most out of the squad that he's given time and time again. It can't be a fluke because he does it every single season. Not quite sure what's gone on with Ryan Shawcross. I think there's a bit of gamesmanship maybe trying to poach him. <laughs> Bill, Burnley gained a hard-fought point at home, but should Antonio Conte have made changes sooner against a resilient, deep-lying team? I'm not sure, really, uh, he should have made their changes. He did change to a back four for the last 20 minutes, but there was no great improvement there. He um, also brought on Fabregas for Matic after 67 minutes. Um, perhaps he could have brought on Fabregas a bit early. Matic wasn't having the greatest of games. He sort of gave away the free kick a bit clumsily. Um, but overall, it wasn't a terrible result uh, for Chelsea given Burnley's home form so I think um, Conte's approach was fine really. Sunderland's sizzle against Palace and then Wilt against Southampton. Please explain Julian. Maybe Crystal Palace are not that good and I mean everybody <laughs> beats them anyway so we shouldn't be surprised that even Sunderland beat them but everything went Sunderland's way on that day for sure and Southampton are a much better team than, than Crystal Palace and it was always going to be harder at you know, I thought for Sunderland, even at home against Southampton and Southampton, I thought, played extremely well on Saturday. So overall, I think the two results, and let me tell you something. 
It's the first time in over <laughs> 60 years that a team in the top flight win away 4-0 and then lose away in the next game 4-0 as well. Would you believe this? Oh, it's yeah. in my book of stats somewhere. <laughs> See, Bill, this is this is the impact you have in pubs and podcasts <laughs> around the world. I think. It would be remiss not to mention Manolo Gabbiadini, who scored twice at the Stadium of Light. James, are you impressed by Southampton's new striker? I'm very impressed. Um, certainly second goal, although it was at the, the Stadium of Light at the moment, which they seem to be collapsing, don't they? Uh, really, but three goals in two games, very, very impressive. He's, a, he's an interesting player. He's a very, very good young player um, coming through at Italy. Played a lot of games for Italy under 21s, but never really kicked on. Maybe Southampton's a place that he will do. Bill, what should Big Sam do with his team in the two weeks between now and their next game at home to Middlesbrough? Well, he's he's running out of things to do. Really, <laughs> they've had. Uh, he thinks back to when when he won the uh, that one game in charge of England. It's all gone wrong since then. Sacked by them, and then he thought, well, at least he's going to come back and save Crystal Palace. But it's, he's done nothing of the sort so far. He's, he brought in a sports psychologist, so maybe for the next two weeks, just get the psychologist to, to spend all his time with uh, Zaha and Townsend, the two wingers. I mean, at their full potential, they're Champions League standard players, no doubt about it. So I mean, if they were to play the top of their game, then Palace would uh, sail away from the bottom three. But uh, and they've not won at home in five months and middles for a beatable opponent. So if they don't beat them, then uh, the writing will be on the wall. Indeed it will. Edin Dzeko's penalty misses for Roma have gone viral, Julian. Is he right to say he'll give up trying to take them? Yeah, he missed, he missed the last two as well. But the one on the one this weekend where I was not really sure what was happening. If you don't, if you haven't seen it, go and go and have a look because he, he he takes his time. Then the ref tell him to go. He still waits again, and then he he fluffs it completely. Uh, However, he's having a fantastic season with 18 league goals already. He's the Dzeko that we, we knew at Wolfsburg before. He's sort of so, so spell out at City. Sorry. So we can forgive him for that poor penalty at the weekend. Ali, one for you. Danny Coley was at Turf Moor preparing for Lincoln City's fifth run FA Cup tie. What would he have learned? Well, I spoke to Danny Cowley straight after the draw for the fifth round and he said uh, he'd just been chatting to Neil Harris, the Millwall manager, because they were both in the hat for the draw and their mates. And Neil Harris had said to Cowley, the fixture you do not want above all others is to go to Turf Moor. And I thought, well, that's a bit of an exaggeration. There are plenty of other tough ties you could get. And then the first time I've seen Burnley for 90 minutes after that conversation with Cowley... I realised exactly what Neil Harris meant because Neil Harris said to him, they're at you all the time. It's impossible. I think that sums Burnley up completely. They, they were relentless. I've seen, I've seen teams close down more expensive clubs or teams that are on a good roll and try and make life difficult. I thought Burnley's organisation, relentlessness and intelligence when they were able to break was incredibly impressive. So I think probably Neil Harris might have been right. The last place you wanted to go in the fifth round was Turf Moor. It's a different mindset at the weekend. That will be one of Burnley's hardest games. They've played in these games and they're not easy to play in because they were excellent yesterday, Burnley, against Chelsea. I thought it was one of the best performances I've seen you know, th- this season. But all of a sudden, they're the underdogs and I think they play to the underdogs. You know, The crowd get behind them. But all of a sudden, you've got Lincoln at home and non-league, you're, you're the favourites. Right, come, we expect you now to win. And it's just, adds a little bit of pressure. Well, I wish I'd given that answer now, James. That sounded more intelligent, <laughs> didn't it? Thank you. Sorry. That's all for now. Many thanks for today's guests, James Scowcroft, Julian Leron and Bill Edgar. 
Remember, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. And please press that subscribe button wherever you choose to download your podcasts. And leave a review and a happy emoji on iTunes if you're listening on an Apple device. Goodbye. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.